Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On today's podcast, we have Ian Beckenstein. Uh, he is a hockey ops at the Laval Rockets. He does some video coaching as well. He's part of the video coaches newsletter. He created the group for video coaches. Uh, he's done it all um, involving video coaching by now. He's even worked at the IIHF uh, World Junior Championships, World Championships, helping out the referees. So really cool guest. Got some interesting stories on how he actually got involved in all this. So uh, really excited to have you here. I'm Greg Revac, and we got Dan Ducard here. So Dan, what was your uh, your favorite part? Yeah, that was awesome. I've connected with Ian uh, a few years ago now on Twitter, and he is a fantastic resource for anybody in the uh, video coaching and or analytics space. He's worked at Sports Logic. He has a great deal of like a great command over several different video platforms. Uh, I've talked with him plenty about sports code in the past. Um, that's what our program uses. And it's just a really insightful interview. Like I think it'll be a little different than maybe what our audience is used to. It's kind of inside baseball, but that's for us, at least for me, it was super interesting kind of to hear him talk about what it's like to work on the team side in a, in a very specific uh, capacity. Yeah, I think it's amazing how deep you can see that his knowledge base goes. So it's probably not our normal interview, but I think that's what's great about the podcast we have here is you get access to a lot of different viewpoints and where people are coming from and how they're working all to make the product on the ice as good as it can be. So I'm, I'm super excited to share this one. Well said. All right, without further ado, here's Ian Beckenstein. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I think you've got a really cool story. So I'll let you give a quick background for those that don't know your story and who you are and talk a little bit about uh, your background with the referees, video coaches, et cetera. It's, it's quite something. Really happy to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so real quick, I'm based out of Montreal. I started off working for the Lac St. Louis Lions as the equipment manager in Midget AAA. It's the age group of 15 to 17-year-olds in Quebec here. Um, after three years, I did a quick trip with the U15 Quebec team to Finland. I did all the jobs, you know, like a real equipment manager. All I did was eat laundry and sharpen skates, uh, came back, uh, you know, spoke to a bunch of the NHL guys who train with us, asked them what it's like in the NHL as an equipment manager, stayed on for one more year. Next summer, you know, I still want to stay on board with the Lions and, uh, we, I want to do something different, you know, part of the 
the opportunity of working at lower levels is you can try many things. So I asked to become the video coach. There weren't really any back then in 2012. Took the computer home. You know, I don't know how many people listening know what a DVD is or remember what a DVD is, but that's what I practiced on, on Steva. And then, like you mentioned with the referees, I got the opportunity with the double IHF at the 2015, 2017 world juniors in Montreal. They, they, you know, split Montreal, Toronto, Toronto, Montreal. I did the 2016 world championships in Russia and the 2017 world championships in Germany, working with the referee supervisor group. And then one year before Montreal moved their AHL team to Laval, I reached out to the video coach on LinkedIn to see how I can get involved. And here we are three, four years later, and I work part-time with them. So what's your full-time gig if you're uh, doing only part-time there? What's, uh, what's your skill set? What's your background? Yeah, so my background is I was actually working at SportLogic for almost four years. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of the, that analytics company. I was doing some work there. And then, you know, with COVID, I, it was kind of a mix. Like, I wasn't sure my position would be around this season, and I wanted to kind of move on and try something else. So it worked out well. And now I work at another company here in Montreal. It's kind of it's a mix between uh, training, uh, project management, uh, testing. So it's a, it's a new opportunity, something that I'm excited to, to work on and see where it goes from there. Awesome. That's really cool. So I'm, I'm curious to hear more about how referees use video, especially through with the double A, double I, double I H F. That's uh, gotta be quite the experience being international. And, um, do they, do they pay you for that? Or is it more volunteer job? Yeah. So, uh, I did get paid. I actually thought when I was going to meet them for the first time, I, it was just a volunteer position because I had signed up to be a volunteer at the World Juniors. And um, yeah, I, I ended up going to meet everyone and they gave me an envelope. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, what's this? And they said, it's your pay. So, you know, play. I just tucked it in my jacket and I checked it after. Um, um, I obviously I opened it. I wanted to see how much it was, you know. Um, so they, it was different colored money. I'd never seen it before. So, you know, I did some research and I found out the double IHF is headed in Switzerland. So it was Swiss francs. So, you know, obviously I did the currency converter and it was definitely worth it. That's for sure. But, uh, how referees use video, honestly, it's exactly like players. You're looking at evaluation, your positioning on the ice, how strong your hand signals are. If you're consistently making the right hand signals, um, you know, it sounds easy enough, but even as a player or just in your everyday job as a professional, you might mess up on whatever you're doing. So, you know, they're constantly being evaluated. Um, we're looking for good and bad examples of how to communicate with coaches and players. We're looking at skating angles and how to maneuver around the players, you know, on the boards, on the corners, because you don't want to get in the way. Um, you know, reading the play just like players do. You want to be wary of transition or the cycle in the zone. Uh, you have to understand the patterns and read the play to be in position not to interfere with the players. You know, how many times do you see the cycle going down the boards and the referee kind of pokes out to the bottom of the circle to let the guy cycle and then, he, you know, he takes his spot back. And, um, yeah, they really work on that. Uh, you know, no one wants to be the cause of a goal because they got in the way of a player. So that's uh, just some quick overview on, on what I did with the referee supervisors. Ian, I think we connected initially over Twitter. I knew you as vid at video coaches, pro hockey video coaches on Twitter. That was like our initial foray. How did that uh, project come about? When did you start that account? And, you know, like what's your ultimate goal in that space? 
yeah, so pro hockey video coaches, um, if you want to look it up, the handle is at video underscore coaches. And that really started actually three years ago, November 2017, if my math is correct, 2020 minus 2017. Is Nailed it. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I really enjoy the behind the scenes stuff, like the Montreal Canadiens have 24CH, Pittsburgh has in the room behind the B, the winter classic stuff. So I really enjoy all that stuff and learning and seeing what goes on. And there was no really resource for video coaches. So um, one day I just decided to start it off. And if it does well, it does well. If not, then uh, sorry, if it doesn't do well, then whatever, at least I gave it a try. Um, so that that's really the story behind that. Um, you know, what, what's really being shown on that account is really just skimming off the top. There's so many men and women behind the scenes at all levels who, who do so much work and have so many responsibilities that, you know, I, I'm trying to find more ways to show what's done at every level, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to really get people to talk sometimes about what goes on in their organization to keep, uh, you know, competitive advantages. Um, you know, I thought if I can get 500 followers, that would be, you know, cool. Um, it's, it's very, very niche as you guys know. And right now we're at 1,068, I think. So it's, it's, it's cool how, how well it's taken off. And, um, you know, it's cool, um, you know, getting the words from, you know, especially the people in the NHL and the American league, um, cause they get to kind of, they use it to show people who don't really work in hockey, what they do. You know, people say, what does a video coach do? I don't understand. So they, they enjoy it. Um, they get to kind of showcase what, uh, what goes on behind the scenes with them. So it's, it's been fantastic so far. I really enjoy doing it. So there's got to be some great stories with that. Is there like some like, oh, this happened and coach was yelling at me because I screwed up? Uh, I mean, or even in your experience with hockey ops and being around all of this, I'm assuming you got some great stories. Yeah, um, there's some good stories. You know, if I go back to pro hockey video coaches for a second, it's really been my number one networking tool. Um, you know, I try to meet as many of the people uh, when they come to Montreal to play the Canadians at Morning Skate. Um, this year, for example, the guys in Dallas are really good to me. Kelly Forbes and Matt Rodell, they actually took me down to the coach's office. So that was cool to see how they set up with their, their computers, the Hawkeye, what they do, how they manage it, uh, you know, during the game. So that was really cool to see. Um, as far as other stories, you know, the double IHF stuff was unbelievable. Like I never played at a high level. I thought that'd be the coolest thing I ever do in life. You know, like I'm getting paid to travel and get paid to, you know, you know, look at international hockey. Like that was really cool. Um, of course with the lions, we won two championships there and, watching the players go from midget to the NHL or American league or college or wherever they end up. That's always cool too. So yeah, plenty of stories and, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the experiences that I've had and hopefully I can keep going up the ladder. I know we've periodically seen you put out, um, you know, like a grid with the different teams and who they have as like their video staff, at least at the, at the NHL and AHL level. And, you know, just in my experience, like I would imagine that analytics is going to continue to expand in terms of like the, just the counting numbers. Like there's going to be bigger analytics staffs in 10 years than there are today. Say, do you think that that trend will also hold true in video coaches or is there a time where there could almost be like too much video for like to digest, for example, like, where do you see that going? Too many cooks yeah. in the kitchen. 
<laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, um, well, right now, just in the NHL, there's 31 teams and 23 of the 31 have two video coaches. And frankly, from all that I've seen firsthand or have talked to the guys, I, I don't understand. Well, I do because it comes down to the budget, but I don't understand how not all teams have two people because it takes a lot of work to do. You know, there's the pre-scouts and, and your reports and stuff like that, but it really comes down uh, during the game because – you know, you have one person marking the game, you have one person watching the Hawkeye. So, you know, while we're watch, we're excuse me, while we're watching on TV, you know, we're there's an entry in the zone and you know, there's a shot and there's this, there's that. Well, there's someone marking the game and then there's someone going back on the Hawkeye to make sure that that entry is a clean entry. Um, because between the goal and the faceoff, I think there's only between 30 and 45 seconds max. So you really have to be efficient with your time and your angles. So just from that perspective, like I think it's inevitable that all 31 teams will have two people as their video coaches on the coaching staff. Um, and in terms of analytics, like every team really does it differently. Um, I've, I've kind of compiled a list of different analytic positions um, that I've personally used to try to pitch to teams. And, you know, obviously with COVID going on, that's really going to restrict everybody. So yeah, definitely video and analytics isn't going away. Um, I think there already is a lot of video out there, honestly, like there's so many ways to get it. Um, but it, yeah, I think you really just have to be efficient in what you're doing and make sure that whatever you're showing has purpose and it's easy to digest. So if you know CBJ ever has an opening, I think that we should get Dan a job there. <laughs> I'm sure Ian would be just as interested. And I'm sure the a thousand other people who follow pro hockey video coaches, uh, would be just as interested. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. That's right. You're, you're, you're definitely forgetting, or you, you don't know, Dan, I believe, what was it, 97.1 fan of the year in Columbus? That's right. That's, we're getting off topic. Yeah, I want to free trip. By, to, sponsored by Bud Light. So free trip to London. Right. Free trip to London from a radio station. Isn't that crazy? I hope you guys are getting ad money for that. Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> no free ads. No free ads. Jeez, Greg. That's funny. I wish. Hey, I want to go back to your time with the AAA team uh, in Quebec. You know, you, and obviously you say you work in the AHL too. So, like, compare and contrast for us what, you know, the video, maybe not so much like what you're presenting, but like the amount that you're sharing with each team. Because I can imagine that, like, um, a minor hockey association, you know, there's just as much potential for video, but. Like how, how much are you sharing with those kids compared to like an AHL team? Yeah. So midget AAA, you know, like you said, it's a lot different than, than pro hockey because midget AAA, um, they have school. So they're trying to manage school and then they come practice really midget AAA. We would do pregame video, you know, some power play PK stuff, uh, just kind of reminders because we'd take care of it during the week um intermission maybe pulling some players or you know if the power play struggling or the pk's struggling or vice versa if they're doing really well just to highlight what's going well what's going wrong and to fix it um during the week it was really monday tuesday was skill and battle day wednesday was power play or wednesday thursday was kind of special teams depending on how we split it so we do some video there but you know at at where we are in 2020 i think the players expect more video compared to when i started in in 2012 um i didn't really i didn't really share much video like for me to the players more more during playoffs like i did a lot of video with the centermen 
on face-offs. Um, and then in the American League, like I mentioned, I'm part-time. So uh, what's being sh- – I don't really sh- – I don't really interact with the players. I kind of just go in and out on game days. I interact more with the coaches than anything. But in terms of what's being shown, basic stuff, you know, players are working on things during the week. I think the, maybe one difference is that there's a lot more – a lot more hands on deck for video in pro hockey because the video coach has to give video to the scouts, the player development people, um, so that they stay on top of things. Um, so I think, I think there's just more time for individual uh, video at pro because that's their job. You know, there's no school, there's no this and all that. Like that's your job. Uh, I think that's really the big difference between pro and the uh, major AAA, for example. And then, I'm, I'm curious about practices. Are, are you guys using video in practices? Are you taking that video from practice and doing technical, tactical? How is it being used, not just for the games? Everyone's doing video from games, but practices and getting their players better that way. Yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Jeez, new tongue. Let you bring that up because uh, I ran some video coach calls over the summer and we were fortunate to have some cross-sport Video coaches, we had one person from the NFL. We had a couple people from Europe in soccer, hockey. Uh, we had volleyball, NCAA football. And it was just interesting to see how they use video and they use it in practice. They have virtual reality. Um, I think hockey is really far behind in that aspect. But I, I know there's some teams in the NHL and the American League who take their practices. And I really think that's the next wave of taping your practice not only to develop players and maybe go over things again, but just to keep track of your drills. Um, I know some teams, for example, they'll run a loop of their drills in the morning so that when the guys come in, they, you theoretically know what to expect um, and you can have a more efficient practice. That's pretty interesting. Okay, so you, you said something super interesting there that teams are using virtual reality. Is that something – is that like across the board in these sports? And is that something that you could see like imminently being used in hockey? And if so, like in what capacity? Yeah. So that was really the NFL they have. It's, it's unbelievable. Like that sounds unbelievable. We can imagine what the NFL teams budgets are, you know, and they have like a whole room of of VR headsets. You can, you know, it's one thing to, to be able to watch the video and say, Oh, you know, I could have done this or I could have done that, but to really be, quote unquote, back in that position. And you can say, oh, well, I really use my peripheral vision there. I should have seen that guy. And if I had maybe opened up this way or been on a better angle, maybe I, couldn't, I could have gotten the puck at a better angle. I would have had more speed or maybe I wouldn't have gotten hit so hard or uh, hit in, in general. So it's really cool to see what the NFL is doing. And, you know, as far as hockey, I don't think virtual reality is coming anytime soon. You know, once again, I said it's all budget related. There are some really, really, um advanced teams when it comes to video um so maybe you know we'd see that stuff pop up but again that's i'm sure is kept on the down low uh people want to keep their competitive advantage so we'll see what happens with that which teams are using video and which ones do you think are on the cutting edge of video work versus maybe some ones that need some catching up call them out I'm not going to call anyone out. That's I didn't think so, yeah. <laughs> but the team that definitely comes to mind is the Nashville Predators. They've always been so far ahead with video. And I personally think I'm not giving away any circuits here. I think everyone in the league knows how good the Nashville staff are. And shout out to Lawrence Filoni and Andrew Malosh and Nick Lebrano if they listen to this. Those three gentlemen are on another level. 
Um, there's, there's tons of people who have graduated through Nashville as assistant video coaches or video scouts and have become head video coaches in the NHL. So they definitely run a, a top-notch program there. What, what kind of stuff are they doing? I mean, obviously you can't give away the competitive advantages, but maybe some general direction that makes them elite compared to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really just think it's how they work. You know, they have two, three guys on the video staff. They've got, you know, top-notch reports. Uh, Law is considered, Lawrence Filoni Law is considered one of the top video coaches in the league. Um, it's really, I just think that how they work, their workflows, um, Law's been there a while, so he's well-respected. And it's really cool to see um, how, how some teams don't have a lot of turnover. Um, you know, sometimes if there's a new GM or head coach, they bring in their own people, but law has been there forever. So it's cool that, you know, he has that respect from ownership management that, that he can say, Hey, we should look at this and, or we need this for video and they'll implement it because they know that, that it's going to benefit the players and law knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to ask a question that's I normally wouldn't ask, but it's so inside baseball. But, you know, having you on, I feel like we have to at least address it. Like, can you explain to our listeners, there's seems to be most teams use Exos now at like the NCAA level and in the NHL. I can't really speak to the CHL, but maybe you can. Like what makes Exos so much more desired than – Steva or sports code or any of the other competitors. And do you think that that gap is going to widen to the point where like Exos is just basically like the universal language that's spoken. And if you don't know it, then you basically like don't have a foray into the, into the, into that world. Yeah. It's interesting. That's the next question because someone else I also wanted to mention is Matt Prefontaine of the Winnipeg Jets. That guy is on a whole nother level with sports code. The stuff that he's able to integrate is unbelievable. Someone else who's been there, been there a long time with one team um but you know what exos is it it's really good um you know i don't necessarily think that if you don't know exos you're not going to go anywhere because sports code is you know bringing a really big dent in the marketplace um i think there are six teams seven teams who currently use sports code um i just think exos has been had had such a foot in the industry for a while because they were kind of their first from football and um, you know, creatures of habit. If you're happy with something, you're not going to change it. Um, you know, it also comes to, you have your computer set up for Exos and your server and you have all these expenses. Sometimes it's hard to change, but um, you know, like I said before, I really don't think that if you don't know Exos, you're not going anywhere. That sports code is, is just as good of a platform as Exos. Turning directions ever so slightly, I want to talk about the jobs. Like, you've done a phenomenal job of creating a value for where you've been, and obviously why they continue to keep you around, even if it's a part time. Like, part time people are usually, you know, give and take, but you've clearly pro- provided a lot of value. Um, kind of when getting your jobs, how would you say you want to start out and then evolve from there to continue to provide value? Um, and maybe if there's a value for starting at a lower level and working way up rather than just trying to go straight for the top. Yeah. So I'll start off with the back end of that one. So I, I believe there's an incredible amount of, of um, value working at lower levels, because like I mentioned before, you can do so many things. Um, you can touch so many areas you can learn and really develop yourself professionally. Like the first thing I ever actually wanted to be in hockey was a scout and then a transition from equipment manager to, 
video coach to now actually like, you know, video coach analytics, player, player uh, analyst position. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, everyone wants to move up as fast as possible and get to the higher level. But I think just like players, you know, everyone really has to take their time. Um, you know, if you would have asked me at 22, hey, can you be even part-time and do everything I do in Levi? Honestly, I probably wouldn't do very well because I wasn't developed professionally. I, I didn't have enough experience. I didn't have enough, uh, you know, uh, experience in tough areas and had to be resourceful. Like I just wasn't developed and it's, I don't want to go too far off track here, but I think it's the same thing with players. Like it's like anything in life. Like you don't just go to a job and boom, you're top notch or you're the best ever at what you do. You know, it takes time to develop. So working at lower levels and, and learning things at an incremental pace is really beneficial. And then in terms of adding value, it's really, you have to watch for two things. You have to watch for your own personal kind of uh, role. Like you have to make sure you, you're, you nail what you're actually brought on to do and you're consistent and the people who you work with or for are happy with that. And then really just take some time and figure out and listen, where can you add value? And Laval for me, I remember I, so like I said, I only do uh, part-time. Like I, I only really get paid to do time on ice, but some of the other stuff I do, that's where the value comes in. I told the guy that I brought in with me, I'm like, listen, I don't know when, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to have an opportunity to jump in and, and do something else. And that came actually uh, in the second month of the first year is uh, face-off tracking. So the assistant coach was, was getting these off uh, reports from the off-ice officials. And uh, like, you know, we had met them for kind of a month, month and a half. We had like a you know, good relationship, working relationship with people you just start working with. And he goes, well, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, pre-game in the office. He's like, oh, you know, these are not very good. I think we need to improve them. What do you think? So obviously I'm going to side with him. And it worked out well because uh, with the Lions, like I mentioned before, I was kind of, I don't want to say in charge, but a, a bulk of my job was, was tracking face-offs and, and working on that stuff. So I, I said, okay, listen, uh, let the office officials do their report for this weekend I'm going to come up with something like just give me some time. I'm just going to draw it out on paper because, you know, I don't really have all my stuff there with me. So long story short, we just did it. It's nothing revolutionary. It's really just tracking our centers versus their centers, uh, all seven dots on the ice percentages. Um, so I would give them a, a pregame report and then, uh, um, a report after each intermission. So the, after the first period would obviously be the first period uh, aggregate. That's what I was looking for. After the second period would be a combination of the first and second period. And then at the end of the game, we give them uh, the full game report. And then with 10 minutes left in the third period, um, I would send, uh, it's actually funny, small world. Their, their assistant athletic therapist, he was our athletic therapist at Lions. So I would text him. <laughs> he, has his, he has his phone on the bench in case of emergency person. Like, Hey, you know, you want to kind of get the band back together. So I would send him the numbers and then he gives it to the assistant coach. And we do it that way because at 10 minutes left in the third, 50 minutes of the 60 have elapsed. So, you know, essentially you are what you are. And then, um, yeah, that's how that started. And then the coaching staff switched over that summer. And then I didn't really have to start totally from scratch, but we made some changes and, uh, and then same, same thing with analytics, you know, I was working at, at sport logic. So I have a background in that. So, you know, the guys would ask questions about analytics and, you know, the, you know, the common terms versus what they should know or look at or et cetera. So, you know, just bit by bit, if you can kind of show, you know, what you're talking about and, 
um, you know, be confident in, in what you know, then they'll start to trust you more and talk to you more and then it'll lead to projects. And essentially that's what you want just to kind of do more. But really, like I, I mentioned right off the hop here is you have to make sure that you can still be consistent and provide results for what you're actually brought on to do. You don't want that to suffer. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, I'm curious, like aside from the obvious tracking metrics, you know, shots, face offs, stuff like that. Is there anything that comes to mind for you that you think adds a ton of value that you can kind of easily quantify? I'm midway through, not to timestamp this, but I'm midway through uh, Daryl Belfry's book right now. And it just, you kind of just like sparked an idea in my head about like trying to, and he did too, about like tracking maybe more obscure plays that like you wouldn't necessarily think like, oh, every time someone, you know, a face-off is like the easiest thing to conceptually track, right? Like it's a static play that happens and there's like a winner and a loser in theory. So it's like something that anyone can like, okay, we should track this, but is there anything that comes to mind for you that like really provides value that like maybe isn't like a, I don't know, mainstream trackable item? Yeah. Well, I guess, um, not mainstream. Well, for me, honestly, like loose puck recoveries are really big for me. Um, you know, um, for example, rebounds, it's a, it's kind of a basketball philosophy. It's not hard to understand. It's in your end, you want to out rebound the opposition to limit second chances. And then on the other side of the floor, you want to get more, uh, rebounds to out rebound the other team and get more second chances. So it's just basic principles there. Um, and then if you want to talk about, you know, just loose puck recoveries all over the ice, um, you know, it could, you never know, it could lead to, you know, for every, I don't know, 15 loose, more loose puck recoveries you recover could lead to one more goal. You know, it could be the difference of you going into the zone or your team having to play defense because everything's all connected. That's one thing I learned at Sport Logic. Everything is connected. If you're getting to the loose puck, you can play on offense more. And if you're playing on offense more, you're having more fun, you're getting more chances, you're wearing down the other team, you know, you're not, not necessarily going to score more all the time because, you know, we see those games where teams get badly, severely outplayed and they end up winning, but that's the way it goes. And then same concept where if you're always playing defense, it wears on you mentally, it wears on you physically, and you just don't always have that same energy. So I would really say loose puck recoveries and especially looking at, at rebounds, uh, you know, with the basketball example, is something that I like to look at. I love that. So how do you take that data and then – put it into a competitive advantage. So you're talking about rebounds and who gets more. How do you take that data and give your team a competitive advantage of, okay, here's a better way to make sure we get more rebounds and therefore we'll have that ability to play offense more. Yeah. So there's kind of two ways I'm going to answer that. So the first one is really, you kind of just have to look at the numbers and it could be a solution or not. It could be an explanation for maybe why you scored more or, got outscored that night. You know, if it's not rebounds, maybe it's something else. If it's not something else, maybe it's rebounds. So that's one way you can look at it. It can just be another explanation. Why did we get out chance? Why did we lose the game tonight? And if you look at, well, they had 20 rebounds in our zone and we had one, well, chances are if you have 20 extra scoring chances, probably one, two, maybe three are going to go in. And then you bring up a good question there. It's you want to be able to convey your findings in a simple manner. So what I actually have is I have a section in my report sheet. It's for rebounds and it's, it's really just a formula. You know, if, if 
our D zone number is bigger than their offensive zone number, that means we out-rebounded them in the D zone. So that just gives me a yeah. Did you win the zone? Yes. And then vice versa. So it's really just yes, no. So the coaches can look at just simple, did we out-rebound them or not in their zone and in our zone? Yes, no. So that's a big thing in, in anything in life, but I think it's really big in analytics because, you know, it's the age-old battle of, oh, you know, the old school way and the new school way and the, the eye test and, and the numbers. So if you can really – and that's something I've really worked on in the last two years is how to build out these one-page reports that are effective. And if you just look at them, uh, like, you'll understand what's going on. So if you're able to communicate your findings – and make sure that you can add value and, and who you're talking to can understand what you're looking at and why you're looking at it and you know what value you can get out of it. That's going to really help you. That's massive. That's massive. And I, I guess one small follow-up here is like, does the area in which the puck is rebounded from kind of dictate the report? So if you notice like there's a lot of rebounds getting to the boards, like, that has a higher percentage chance that the offense is going to get it compared to rebounds that are in front of the net or, you know, don't make it all the way to the boards. Like the defense is going to get that just based on positioning and where people are located. And then maybe is that something you can utilize to say, okay, well, we need to be inside and box out this area so we can get more rebounds. Um, do you guys do tactical stuff with that? Or is it just more kind of painting that story of understanding and then you can go back to the video and figure it out from there? Yeah, well, again, I'll just give a general overview. Um, remember when I said everything's connected? Well, that's also connected to how your, how your system is. If you're just going to say, hey, we're going to clog up the slot and just stay in between the dots, and we're going to let kind of the opposition recover any puck outside the slot that's more than a 50-50 puck, then the number's obviously going to be skewed, you know? If, if there's a ton of rebounds in the slot, and you're getting scored on, well, is the goalie not freezing the puck? Does he have rebound control issues? Are the defensemen uh, just boxing out? Are they not picking, enough, picking up enough sticks? So, you know, there's – you always have to look at kind of the whole picture, not just looking at the numbers, and that's definitely something that I encourage with those examples I just gave you. Like, they're all explanations as to why, and you always have to take into account your team systems. Beautiful. Well, I got one last question for you, and then we'll, we'll give our two-minute spiel at the end here. Um, I, I think we, Dan and I both appreciate the short videos you throw up there. It kind of reminds me of Jack, Jack Hand's uh, one-minute tactics. Uh, where did that come from, and maybe where do you spark your ideas on, on that? Or, Dan, do you have anything else to add? No, that's, I can't wait to hear what he says. <laughs> well, those really came from just kind of watching other people put up videos. Um, and it was, I figured, you know what, I, I have some video skills. Um, it could be a, a good way for, for me to get my name out there. Um, there are some things that I do are kind of, are simple that are kind of more tailored towards younger coaches who might not have access to video, like my Philip Deneau video, how to play center. It's super basic. It has a bunch of different examples. Um, and then you have maybe, you know, come back to my loose puck recovery. I have my Thomas Shabbat video which is probably my, my favorite one that I've done. And I'm glad it did so well because the thing that I, I can't stand when I hear people talk and not that I'm like a high level coach or anything like that. It's just, I can't stand it. It was when people talk about defense and oh he skates well, makes a good first pass. Like it's, it's such an easy, lazy 
thing to say. Like at this point, almost any, every NHLer can skate, they can pass the puck. Um, the real skill is how you recover loose pucks. And, you know, like I've heard other guests talk about is your first touch. You know, your first touch is so crucial to move the puck over, change the point of attack, get the puck out of the zone. That's all connected to. Um, yeah, so the videos have kind of evolved over time. Um, it could just be some trends that I'm seeing, like my Washington Capitals and Anaheim Ducks power play. They do the cross dump and then they send the guy on the weak side to recover the puck. Um, just stuff like that. Um, it, it, it's gone really well so far. Uh, I was doing some work for an agency, some player development stuff with some video a few months ago. So that was cool. Um, I've gotten requests to do, so I've done that. It's interesting to see what, what other coaches are looking at. Um, and then just kind of trends that are going on in the game right now. And just really, I don't know, looking to just share, share information, bounce ideas off others and, you know, just start a discussion. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, really appreciate having you on the podcast here. Um, so two things we have for you, two minutes, talk about anything you want, plug whatever you want. And then uh, last, you have to give us a book recommendation. Yeah. So I'll give you the book recommendation before I forget it, but I just finished reading um, Grit by Angela Duckworth. And it, that's all about kind of, you know, how gritty you are and how much do you want it? So I definitely recommend people reading that because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you kind of don't care enough or don't implement yourself enough, it doesn't really matter. And then if I was going to plug anything, you know, we've talked about my Twitter and pro hockey video coaches. So, you know, you can find me on Twitter at I B E E C K S. And then pro hockey video coaches is at video underscore coaches. I have my newsletter too. Um, that just talks about, you know, how to get started as a video coach. I have an introduction to Exos, sports code, scripting, a bunch of other things there. And I actually have another little project that's coming out tomorrow. Um, that's, that's really looking to unite the hockey community. Um, so definitely check out my Twitter page for that. And, you know, if anyone wants to get involved, uh, you know, you can send me a DM or just follow the links and, uh, it should set you up. Oh, I can't wait to see what that is. That's such a nice little tease there at the end of the podcast. You, you guys are actually already included in it. You're in, I have my podcast and newsletter uh, channel. We can call it that. And you guys are there also. So Awesome. Well, Wonderful. I'm a subscriber to the newsletter. And, and for our audience, it's can't miss stuff. It's super helpful. And I know I learn something every time. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And also for really kind of being a, a leader in this space on Twitter for kind of like uniting this like you said, niche group of people who, you know, we're all in this to make hockey a better place. So can't thank you enough for what you do. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun and, you know, it's cool to bring everyone together and have everyone connect and learn from each other. Wonderful. Again, thanks, Ian. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal. Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. 
We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you beauts here next week for a brand new episode.